In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Chapter 1. He adored Woody Allen. He idolized him all out of proportion, especially the early funny ones. No matter what, this was a director who always used plain black and white titles and pulsated to the great tunes of George Gershwin. Uh, no, no, that's not how I want to do it. Let me start this over. Chapter 1. He was too forgiving about Woody Allen, as he was about everything else. Even his seven movies piled up on his top 100 list. He'd say, support the art, not the artist, even when the artist was a reprehensible monster. No, I'm getting too preachy. Let's face it, I want to sell some podcasts here. Get that sweet-ass podcast money. <laughs> Chapter 1. He adored Woody Allen, but to him he was a metaphor for the decay of contemporary culture and the privilege of narcissistic white male directors. Okay, I'm getting too angry here. Ah, uh, Chapter 1. He grew up with the movies of Woody Allen and admired many of them, but grew tired of defending him. Did he really want more movies by this guy in his top 100 than any other director? Was this the message he wanted conveyed by his podcast? Maybe it was time for a reckoning. Oh, yeah, I like this. Woody Allen was his director, and he always would be. Oh. <laughs> that was really well written. Uh. That was all Woody Allen. Woody Allen <laughs> wrote that for me for the podcast. I reached out to him and, uh, he wrote me a little something, you know, just a little cold open to, uh, to sate everyone's appetite. Hello, Craig's listeners. Hi, Craig's listeners. It's Craig and Carla. And we're up to number eight on the list in case you haven't guessed. That's this is, correct. this is Woody Allen's Manhattan. Man. Uh, there's also a movie called Brooklyn, right? With Saoirse uh-huh. Ronan. Is there a Staten Island, a Queens, mm. or a Bronx? I have no idea. Bronx Tale. <laughs> there's a Bronx Tale, definitely. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we watched so much Woody Allen over the past few years. <laughs> That's true. Well, we watched seven movies uh, for this particular podcast. Um. We should say that this has been delayed because we were going to have guests, uh, but we just couldn't get our schedules together. We're just coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday weekend here in Los Angeles, and scheduling was difficult. Yeah. Uh, We couldn't get it together. Hopefully, we use those guests on another episode. They're going to be good. But uh, our schedules are very tough right now, and we just we knew that you guys wanted to hear this episode. And gals and people. And doggies. All you dogs who love this <laughs> podcast. You're the man now, dog. And you, you're the Manhattan now, dog. Yep. <laughs> so I think it's, it's only appropriate though that we finish out, uh, this episode with just the three of us, you, me, and Woody. Yeah. I think so too. It's time. So we watched Woody Allen's 1979 Manhattan, uh, his highest movie on my list up to number eight. This, uh, stars him as Isaac Davis, a writer, 
Uh, similar to, I think, what he does in Hannah and Her Sisters, because I think he writes for a Saturday Night Live type show. Yeah. So that's based on his real life experience, right? Working for which variety show? Well, he wrote for your show of shows, I believe, in the 50s, which was Sid Caesar's show. That's the writing staff right. that had like Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner and Larry Gelbart and Neil Simon. Right, 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 right. And probably some ladies, right? I'm joking. There were no <laughs> ladies on that staff. No. But I think I th- this is just coming a few years after SNL debuted, and I think it's meant to be kind of a, a parody. Oh, of, it is. Okay. That's a direct parody. Uh, kind of mocking uh, their success, maybe, because the show keeps uh, being mentioned as trash, mm-hmm. and uh, and he quits the job. We only see like one brief scene of him working on the job. She does, Diane Keaton does say how much she loves it, how funny it is, and how relevant or something like that, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, so it also stars Diane Keaton coming off of her Oscar win for Annie Hall as uh, Mary. And I think it's a different kind of character for Diane. Oh, totally. In this uh, completely different personality. I than- think it's nice to like watch those back to back, actually, just to appreciate what a great actress Diane Keaton really is. She really does have great range. I mean, I think she's still kind of quirky in a Diane Keaton way, but Annie is very kind of flighty and eccentric, and Mary is kind of like a little more self-loathing, pseudo-intellectual. Yeah, Yeah, Annie has more of like a light, breezy vibe. (laughs) And Mary, is that her name? Yes. She's, yeah, very negative. (laughs) And he meets her because she's having an affair with his best friend, Yale, played by Michael Murphy. Real quick, I'm sorry, how much longer did this come out after Annie Hall? This is two years after Annie Hall. Oh, okay. He made a movie in between, Interiors, Oh yeah, I've which was that. his first serious movie, uh, which got a lot of criticism, but also some praise, like it was nominated for a fair amount of Oscars, like Geraldine Page was nominated for Best Actress That's for the where she walks into the water, right? Yes. <laughs> Drowns herself. <laughs> Spoilers. I've seen that. You can't spoil something that's that old. <laughs> And I think that's very much meant to be a Ingmar Bergman homage because yes. it's like sad and gray and rainy and depressing. Even and the cover of the or the movie poster is like them in profile, right? Yes, like persona. Yeah. Yeah. And in this movie, there's a whole speech where he defends Ingmar Bergman. Yes, that's right. Because Yale and Mary have this Academy of the Overrated where they talk about artists that they uh, don't think are worth anything. Vincent and then, Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh, like an Arab she spoke. <laughs> uh, so it's meant to kind of like send up their pretension. and uh, But I think it also kind of exposes Isaac's pretension too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, because similar to Hannah and her sisters, I couldn't help but note the amount of artists that get name dropped in this movie. Yeah. So Van Gogh and what were some other ones? August Strindberg. Right. Ingmar Bergman. Uh, also at the end, he has this whole list of uh, things that make life worth living. And one of them is Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah. Who was the uh, ex-husband of Mia Farrow. Yeah, Woody Allen doesn't care. He's cool. He's cool with whatever. <laughs> and possibly the father of his son, too, right? Right. So weird. <laughs> Such a strange showbiz story, the whole thing. Uh, but I think that the main thing that people remember this movie for is that Isaac is dating a teenage girl, Tracy. Oh, 
played right, by I forgot. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> played by Mariel Hemingway. Who's wonderful. Did she ever really I mean I knew she did I know she did some TV movies and stuff, but this was kind of her big thing, right? She was in a fair amount of movies in the early 80s, I would say. There was a movie called Personal Best where she played a uh, a track runner. She was an athlete, and it was kind of an early depiction of gay romance oh. uh, in a Hollywood uh, movie. So that was something I remember her for. But yeah, her acting career kind of dropped off. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this movie. I mean, she's pretty great in it. Yeah. I'm going to be more positive than anybody expects. <laughs> you watched this entire movie, which surprised me because, as always, you're only obligated to watch a third well, I have seen this movie before. I guess we can transition into that part of the podcast. Great. I have seen this movie before in my early 20s. I think I've seen it at least once, but maybe twice. I feel like I've seen it with you, too, since we've been together. Probably. Um, and, yeah, it's not great for me, but there's a lot of great things about it. What does great mean, Carla? Well, it makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Uh, the not great parts. Um, it doesn't hold up well, but then it also makes me feel like, why did this ever hold up well <laughs> in terms of him sleeping with an underage girl? And like, n- e- even in 79, it's illegal, right? Cause she even says like, I'll be legal in three months or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if that just means she'll be 18 or I, I don't know. I, I haven't looked up age of consent laws in New York in 1979. Right. But yeah. But it's just, a, it's kind of strange. And then it's very strange. And then he, there's that shot of him standing outside of her high school huh? waiting for her yep. to come out after school. I mean, it's just really, I don't know. I can't, I kind of always hold uh, men up to the standard of my father, <laughs> which is like a really good guy. And I just can't imagine a world in which my father would not not even like date an underage girl but also like watch this movie and be okay with it you know yeah um so anyways uh my dad's a great guy but um so it, that it's hard to get past i guess is my point now having said that the photography is gorgeous the writing in terms of the dialogue again like woody allen has a great ear for dialogue um it might be one of his best written movies it's, it's, I mean, I, I think I get the thesis statement generally, which is like, you know, people rely too much on the intel, intellect, I guess, of their feelings as opposed to just following their heart. Um, and I think that that even goes back to the idea of the, the famous people that, that, uh, Annie, that Mary is listing, right? Um, like she's very much in her head about everything. And Mariel Hemingway's character is very much just like following her heart and is like a good person who doesn't overthink things, right? Mm-hmm. And so then in the end, he realizes that he's supposed to be with that type of a person. And that's actually a really lovely thing to explore. It's just too bad that the person that he feels like he's supposed to end up with is 17 years old or just turned 18 years old. Yes. And he's 42. And so he's there's 42. a 25 year age difference yeah. between them. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's like, I want to, I want to praise the things that are worthy of praise, but at the end of the day, it's still about a man sleeping with an underage woman, <laughs> girl. 
And apparently it's based on a real relationship he had with a girl who had a bit part in Annie Hall that was cut out and she was a model and I guess they had a affair for a number of years. Well, that makes it worse. It does, <laughs> it does make it worse. It's so, not hypothetical, right? It's too bad right? that I had to hear that. <laughs> Factoid. <laughs> well, it's certainly – it's called out in the movie as being – unusual if not inappropriate but there's not a lot of pushback no there's no pushback they i mean even the women encourage him even though they tease him about it like ultimately they encourage him to go back to her yeah yale's wife emily yeah uh so at the beginning of the movie you see yale and emily dining out with uh tracy and isaac and later after yale and emily split up isaac has lunch with emily and she's and he's like yeah i'm thinking about getting back together tracy and she's like yeah i always liked her yeah (laughs) you should call her you should call her and like that's it and this is a you know a 40-ish uh grown woman kind of encouraging her uh, encouraging him and i just don't buy that i don't buy that even in 1979 right no no, and I just don't, yeah, I don't, there's so much of it that's, that's what I mean. Like, 1979 is a while ago, but it's really not that long ago where, I, I mean, I guess it was accepted, though. He got nominated for Academy Awards for it, right? Like, yeah, it was nominated for Mario Hemingway for Supporting Actress and then for Original Screenplay. And Him- it's considered a masterpiece, right? Yeah, but I think this movie has probably uh, fallen off in estimation more than any other, especially because of the uh, the teenage girl thing. The teenage girl thing, right? <laughs> um, so, I actually have some good essays uh, written on this movie in modern day that uh, that I'm going to share links to that I think are really great, well written, and bring up some great points. When was the first time you saw this movie? Well, this might be the Woody Allen movie I've seen more than any other. Uh, and I definitely saw it before Annie Hall. This was me and my friend Andrew were watching every Woody Allen movie we could get our hands on. One thing I remember about Manhattan is I believe it was the first letterboxed movie on VHS that I ever remember seeing. Mm. So you had the black bars on top and bottom of the screen because uh, for you kids, all TVs were square. <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> and if you wanted to see a movie that was shot in anamorphic widescreen, it had to be presented letterboxed. Uh, but a, a lot of people were thrown by that when they popped the VHS in. They were like, this can't possibly be right. Uh, and the image then would be very narrow, actually. So I don't know that even if your TV was big that you were getting kind of the, the full mm-hmm. impact of it. But I think Woody Allen, Gordon Willis, uh, who was the cinematographer, made sure that it would always be presented that way. Had he also done um, the cinematography for Annie Hall? Uh, I forget when he started working with Gordon Willis, but he did for uh, for a few different movies. Uh, Gordon Willis we talked about already for shooting uh, Godfather, or Godfather 2 uh, in our case. But yeah, I, I also read the Roger Ebert Great Movies review of this and he mentioned it being one of the best shot movies of all time and it it really is it really is it's very frustrating i want to just like rag on this movie so hard (laughs) but like uh the photography i think maybe more than anything else is almost breathtaking even just watching it on our we don't have a very big tv no i mean it's really and the and the score uh the photography is set to the score 
Yes. Especially in the beginning and the end with the different shots of Manhattan. It's just breathtaking. And the score is George Gershwin. So yeah. it's all big band, you know, renditions of Gershwin songs, uh, in particular Rhapsody in Blue, which is maybe the greatest piece of music ever yeah. written. You I mean, know. it's so, it, I, I can't, I can't imagine having a conversation with anybody who's seen this movie and can't like really appreciate how much it makes you fall in love with New York or the idea of New York. Yeah. It's very romantic. So you combine that music with those images and it kind of does hook you in right away. I mean, you even laughed at how over the top was. Here's a shot of the skyline above Central Park with fireworks going yeah, off. Yeah, to, like, to the to the music. Yes. I mean, I was. I don't think I was laughing at it. I was more just like overwhelmed, <laughs> like of how amazing it was. Like, yeah. how did they get that shot? So yeah. many. Oh, and then another thing about the photography and is like, and and this is I guess less to do with a cinematographer and more. Of, you know, I don't know, the AD or something who like got extras to not be in a lot of shots or like randos, you know, I mean, <laughs> no randos, no randos. <laughs> you just, you can't, except for maybe when they're in, in central park when it's raining or, but like every, every background person feels very purposeful and also very minimal in a way that I've never experienced New York. New York to me feels very crowded all the time, no right. matter where I've been. And that shot, I mean, the iconic shot of them sitting in front of the bridge on the um bench I'm sure they had to shoot that in the middle of the night, right? Because nobody is around. Like, I did, you can't even really see anybody on the bridge. <laughs> yeah, I think they actually were there as the sun was coming up, as the characters are in the movie. I mean, that is the iconic shot, yeah, right, of Woody Allen and Diane Keaton uh, at, at the bridge. I think there's a little story about how they got the shot which I will read from the trivia section. The famous bridge shot was done at five in the morning. The production had to bring their own bench because there were no park benches at the location. The bridge has two sets of necklace lights on a timer controlled by the city. When the sun came up, the bridge lights went off. Gordon Willis made arrangements with the city to leave the lights on, and he would let them know when they got the shot. Afterwards, they could be turned off. As they started to shoot the scene, one string of bridge lights went out, and Woody Allen was forced to use that take. Wow. I mean, that's impressive that he can just call the city and be like, hey, we're making a movie. (laughs) Hey, we're making a movie. Gordon Willis, by the way, in the 70s did Clute, The Godfather, The Paper Chase, Parallax View, Godfather 2, All the President's Men. And then he did Annie Hall, Interiors, Manhattan, Stardust Memories, Midsummer Night's Sex Comedy, Zelig, Broadway, Danny Rose, Purple Rose of Cairo for Woody Allen. So a pretty good run. Is he still alive? I believe he is a dead. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to keep him alive. Sorry, Mr. Willis died in uh, 2014 at the age of 82. That's an impressive run of 70s movies for sure. All the President's Men is very memorable. (laughs) Yes, it is. Clute. And he was known as the Prince of Darkness for really underlighting Mm. things, particularly in the Godfather movies. But just the stark black and white, and obviously he used black and white a few more times with Woody Allen. Uh, Stardust Memories is a really well shot movie as well, and and Zelig and Broadway Danny Rose are also in black and white. Great, well done, Mr. Willis. Is that what he said his name was? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Gordon Willis. Uh, yeah, by far that's the best thing of the movie. Again, the dialogue's pretty great. 
But yeah, the overall thesis statement and storyline is kind of a bummer. And I've now seen this probably three times in my life, and I don't think I'll ever watch it again. I don't think I will either. Really? Well, I think that was kind of the what we've talked about as we've been re-watching these Woody Allen movies uh, in my top 100 that maybe the last go around for all of them. Yeah. And I had two box sets of about 14 Woody Allen movies that we donated to charity in the last year. I wonder if anyone picked them up. And I bet every, uh, <laughs> yeah. every Goodwill is loaded with Woody Allen DVDs yeah. right now, right? As people just don't want to have them in the house. But I think, uh, I think I'm good. Like I've seen this movie many times in my life. And uh, it's memorable to me, but I think I'm ready to move on. So is it... Oh, you'll tell us at the end if it's going to stay. That's right. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> but I, I think it's often described as a love letter to Manhattan. And certainly the opening segment of him narrating his novel with the the Gershwin and the images. But really, is the movie about... Manhattan at all? Or do you get a sense of like who are the people who live in Manhattan and what is life like in Manhattan? I don't think so. It's just a very narrow segment yeah. of uh of wealthy intellectual people who all are working on a book. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and if it is his idea of the people that he knows in Manhattan, that's like, well, you really need to um extend your social circles a little bit because these people are not nice people. <laughs> well, he even, he even says to Mary of just like, oh, your ex-husband is a genius and your therapy is a genius. You can get out and uh, meet some stupid people every once yeah. in a while, you know, yeah. which is a funny line, but uh, there's not really a lot of mixing of different uh, social classes in this right. movie. I mean, not that it should be necessarily, but it, it seems a little presumptuous to title the movie Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, in that way, because it, it's about the same sub segment of people that his movies are always about. What if it was called Woody Allen's Manhattan? <laughs> like Woody Allen was part of the title. And then sure. we would understand that it, it was his view. Like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes, exactly. Or, or Lee Daniels the Butler. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what, what others? <laughs> so I, I think he's saying that I am Manhattan. <laughs> I am Manhattan. I am Manhattan. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like with a lot of Woody Allen movies, it feels like there's a few things going on that he's trying to work out at once. Yeah. And he's, I mean, to give him credit, bleh, he's pretty good at finding ways to connect those ideas throughout his films overall um, and make it feel like they all deserve to be in the same two hours together. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for somebody who works in a very narrow palette, uh, like occasionally he will branch out of that. But most of the movies that we think of are set in Manhattan with, you know, cultural elites right? and people, you know, and him playing a very similar character. Yet there's enough variety throughout them to make them, you know, worthwhile. Mm -hmm. uh, but then they also kind of blur together in a way. And he has a lot of one liners that are similar, you know, throughout the years. Right. He's not as uh, neurotic in this one as he is in some others. Is that true? That he's a little more self-assured? Yeah, he's a little more confident. There's one moment where he even says, it's not about me meeting women. I meet women all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's easy for him to, to meet women. Yeah. Yeesh. Yeah, it feels like the stuff with 
Tracy is mostly played for laughs. Like it's just absurd that this nebbishy little guy got this gorgeous model, you know, yeah. teenage girl. Also, this is I know very silly, but like at the end, she says that her parents are because she's moving to London. She says that her parents are already in London looking for an apartment for her. And all I could think was, where have your parents been while you've been sleeping with this 43-year-old man? Yeah. If they're so involved in your life, they're helping you settle into a new city. Like, what? we see her staying over at his place yeah. a, a number of times, right? And he's picking her up after school. Like, it's just bizarre. But I guess maybe he's saying that's what it's like to live in New York. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't grow up in New York, clearly. But, you know, I, I certainly watched this movie when I was younger than Tracy. You know, I, I don't know that I thought of the age disparity, you know, as anything of like something that adults do, I guess, you right. know. Uh, and this was another movie that I think was like aspirational for me of like, oh, that's what I'd like to be of like, be an artist and live in Manhattan and talk about, you art. Know, talk about art. Uh, maybe not getting the satirical angle of it. Right. Um, so you, you were saying that you thought that he's maybe more self-aware in this one than most? Well, not necessarily. Well, yeah. Okay. So let me, I was thinking about this and how I want to say this, but specifically with the idea of Mary and Yale, Yale's personality versus him, it feels like, you know, with them and they're, they're constantly, especially Mary is always talking about art and like, she's very, um, what's the word? Uh, pretentious, pretentious. Yeah. Pseudo intellectual. But also, but seems very, I mean, she's clearly very intelligent yes um doesn't she work at mit or something <laughs> i think that's what she says maybe she's a professor or something yeah yeah i mean so i kind of felt like she was a stand-in for like woody allen she's the neurotic I woody allen so. character in this movie yeah and he was more like the public's reaction to that archetype the audience he, he was standing in for the audience it felt like to me and I mean, I don't know if that's a, a theory that anybody else would support, but that's what it felt like to me listening to the way that she was talking. Like even the pattern of speech was very similar to ways that we've heard him speak in other movies. And so I thought that that was, again, like, ugh, I hate that I'm giving all of these credits to Woody Allen, but like that that was a really interesting take on his, the kind of character that he had created for himself up to that point on film. Yeah. Like he was becoming aware of how repetitive it was <laughs> and like him being like, you're, you're annoying. I can't believe that you're saying all these things about these great artists or whatever. And you have all these terrible opinions or whatever. Um, it felt like that was him being like, Hey audience, I get it. Mm. I get the way that I sound sometimes. Mm. Which I thought was cool. The odd thing is that Diane Keaton and Woody Allen have so much more chemistry than. Woody Allen and Mary Hemingway or, yeah. or any other couple in the movie. Right. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I never really liked this movie. Like I said, um, I never understood why she goes back to Yale. Although this time I realized that that's not what it was about because 
I think I was viewing this movie before through a lens of a romantic comedy. Again, this is like sick to say because it's a child that he's having an affair with. Um, I'm not crazy about this <laughs> is my point. Right. Um, so I'm not trying to say that I, that I approve cause I don't. Um, but I think I was viewing it more through a romantic comedy lens. And now I kind of understand that what is happening in the movie is he's, he's again, like Mary is this archetype of the person who thinks so hard as opposed to feels. And so when she goes back to Yale, it feels more like, cause, cause Woody Allen even says, you know, once he, once you guys are back together, you're going to get bored of each other. And you're going to break up or whatever. So it's like she's just on an, an opposite path, I guess. Yeah. Than the Mary he- Meryl he- Muriel. What is it? Muriel Hemingway character. Muriel Hemingway. Muriel Hemingway character. So I, yeah, that's interesting. Ugh, I can't talk about this anymore. <laughs> the more that I talk about it, it sounds like I like it, and I'm not. It really does sound like you like please it. Please delete the last five minutes. <laughs> nope, it's all going in. Um. Because I really don't like this movie, but I appreciated Mary's point of view more, I guess is what I'm trying to say very poorly, because I feel like I'm saying the wrong thing right now. But as opposed to Hannah and her sisters, which we kind of praised for uh, how many different characters are spotlighted and you feel like you understand them as people and they feel three-dimensional even when they are doing kind of shitty things, you're kind of rooting for them in a weird way. Like, yeah. I don't know if this movie really has anybody other than Tracy, maybe that you're rooting for. Right. Like that last scene or, or the confrontation scene where Isaac goes to confront Yale at his, during his class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really well written. It's mm-hmm. a great dialogue between the two of them, but it's like, which guy are we rooting for here? Like, right. do we really care about either of these guys? And I, I don't think no. we do, you know? And then the scene where he breaks up with Tracy, Mariel Hemingway, <laughs> it's in an ice cream shop. She's drinking a milkshake. It's fucking disgusting. <laughs> it's so gross. Right. I mean, it's like, that's the kind of stuff where... It's like the quintessential high school romance uh, yeah. in a soda shop. Like, it makes yeah. me feel sick understanding that Yeah. now. Like, what a creep. To have the awareness that she's a child to the point where (laughs) you set it in an ice cream soda shop. I mean, come on. It's so, it's so lecherous. Yeah. It's like. And it doesn't end up with the adult woman who is complicated and, you know, but on a similar plane to him. Uh, he ends up with a child that he can mold into the woman that he wants her to be. Yeah. I mean, my hope is that in this fictitious land, she goes to London and never sees him again. Someone new and never sees him again, you know? Yeah. I, I think so. I, do, I don't think in the world of this movie yeah. that they end up together. The movie kind of ends with this hopeful note and. The specifics of their relationship aside, uh, I think the hopefulness is kind of like a sweet tone to end on. I, and again, because Rhapsody in Blue is playing under it, you know. Well, yeah, I guess what I'm saying, what I was saying earlier about the romantic comedy thing is like, if she had been an adult and they had had that relationship and yet 
and she could still have the same personality traits as Tracy. Right. As a 35 year old woman, you know, like a, an innocent view of the world, a kind understanding of, you know, everyone, like all of those personality traits could have been given to an adult woman and they could have had that exact same conversation at the end <laughs> and she could still be going away for six months. And like, what a great movie that would have been. Right. <laughs> Like, what do we get out of her being a child? You fucking creep. <laughs> Woody Allen. Are you, okay, we're talking about Woody Allen there. Okay, great. <laughs> like, what? I mean, it's just, it's so gross. <laughs> it does have the running through New York to meet your yes. romantic partner thing that the apartment maybe did first. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's definitely a trope of everything now. When and when Hermit Sally, Sally, of course. Uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> Is there a running at the end of that? Uh, I think it's more of a motorcycle. I think okay. he's on a motorcycle chasing her, if I remember correctly. I was kind of comparing this movie in my mind to Marriage Story, which we recently watched, mm. and Noah Baumbach mm-hmm. is uh, obviously hugely influenced by Woody Allen, and but that's similar in where you have a couple of kind of unpleasant characters, but because we really get to know them as people and understand their motivations, we are sympathetic to both of them. And there's a big scene between Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson where they're just saying horrible things to each other and like all the darkness of their divorce is kind of coming out in that moment. Yeah. But it's more like tragic and sad and you you can feel for them mm-hmm. in that moment. And I don't think that any of the characters in this movie have that depth right. that uh, Baumbach gave those characters in Marriage Story. Right. Well, let's go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. This Actually, is one of the few Woody Allen movies, or maybe the only Woody Allen movie that doesn't have the opening titles that all oh. of his movies have. It just starts. There's a sign that says Manhattan, and that's the title of the movie. So it starts immediately with the uh, with the Gershwin. Um, when he has that early scene at the restaurant where they're out with the other couple, and that he says their ages. I'm 42. She's 17. Carla just made a fart noise. <laughs> <laughs> Out of my mouth. <laughs> it was just an involuntary reaction. It to was the this. Different- <laughs> when Yale is telling Isaac about his affair with Mary, they're literally like three steps ahead of the yeah. w- women. You know, uh, I don't know that I would buy that he would be able to have this private conversation with his buddy about his affair just like a few steps ahead of his wife. It's so sad. Like, and her character is just the Yale's wife that he's cheating on. Like she's not given any kind of agency or personality or anything. (laughs) Yeah. She's purely there just to, I don't know why she's there. I don't think it was thought through actually. And it seems like Woody Allen thinks just about everything through. Can you, can you even think of why she's there? I guess because he needs to have a wife. (laughs) Yeah. So he can can cheat on her. It's so weird. And even at the end when he has the conversation, when Woody Allen has that, they both like meet up and get sad over having lost their, lost Diane Keaton and Yale, <laughs> Mary yeah. and Yale. Even then she's just not, 
all she's there to do is to tell him to get to give uh, Tracy a call. <laughs> well, she does have the the because Yale is the one who introduces Isaac to Mary. Right. But later they go on a double date, which is really awkward with this couple that had had an affair for. And that's the other thing of of Yale saying of like, you know, you and Mary would be great. You right. know? I can't imagine like back in my dating days that I would break up with somebody and then go to one of my buddies and be like, hey, you know, who would be good for you? Well, it kind of shows you how sick Yale is. I yeah. don't know if that was intended, but what a sick person. Right. Yeah. Michael Murphy, by the way, is a great actor, but is always like the sleaziest or, you know, he's the epitome of like waspy privilege. Garbage, garbage person. Right? Yeah. What else has he been in? Well, we saw him in Nashville uh, on this list. He did a lot of Altman movies. Okay. He did this series called Tanner 88 that Robert Altman created with Gary Trudeau of Doonesbury, oh, yeah. and they shot it like during the presidential, presidential election of 88. It was mm-hmm. kind of like Ollie G before its time and that he was mixing and interacting with real presidential candidates. Weird. But Michael Murphy really looks like somebody who might run for president. I yeah. Mean, he looks like Clinton a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh, so then later when he has that lunch with Emily she's like you know I'm, I'm really pissed off at you for introducing Yale and Mary <laughs> like she doesn't know that Yale had had this affair with Mary before, before. Isaac had been together right. with her so that is kind of like one nice moment that she gets to have but it's more it's yes but it's more to give Woody Allen a, a chance to react to that it's not it doesn't really reveal anything about her except for her stupidity or naivete that's true that actress by the way Anne Byrne, uh, aka Anne Byrne Hoffman. She was Dustin Hoffman's wife. Really? And so we haven't even talked about Meryl Streep, by the way. Meryl Streep is in this movie. <laughs> Carla, Meryl Streep is in this movie. I know. Okay, we'll get to her in a minute. But this is 1979. So this is the same year that Kramer versus Kramer came out, which starred Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep as a couple in Manhattan getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. And so Anne Byrne is a woman getting a divorce uh, in Manhattan in this movie, Manhattan. And the following year, 1980, Dustin Hoffman and Anne Byrne got a divorce. (laughs) So Kramer versus Kramer, I thought that was coming off of his divorce. I thought that he was really going through a divorce. Well, maybe they were split up at the time, but their divorce was finalized in 1980. Got it. Yeah. So this is the woman who was married to Dustin Hoffman. Weird. And uh, Meryl Streep, of course, won the Oscar for Manhattan. For, for <laughs> Manhattan for uh, Kramer versus Kramer for supporting actress beating out Mariel Hemingway. So there's a lot of oh wow, a lot of parallels going on in this movie. So yes, then Meryl shows up. She's Isaac's ex-wife. Uh, she was bisexual when they're together and she's now, uh, in a lesbian relationship and she's raising their son and she's writing a book exposing their relationship. So when Meryl first appears, Carla said she looks pissed off about being in this movie. She's like, this guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> she does. The way that she, like the first shot of her on screen has so much like anger energy. <laughs> it's really funny. Also knowing I don't, from what I understand, from what I've read about this film in regards to Meryl, is that she did not in- love doing this. Mm-hmm. And that he was actually very hard on her in terms of the dialogue and like wanted it letter perfect. Really? Which I know we've talked about before where you say, where you've said that most 
he's like, make it your own to most actors. But according to her, according to what I read, which was on the internet, you guys, so it could have been made up. I don't know. Uh, he was very much giving her a hard time the whole time. This movie feels very written. Yeah. It doesn't feel very improvisational to me. Um, she's not worked with him since either. That's which true. I think is an interesting indication of her integrity. <laughs> Telltale sign. Versus Woody Allen. So she's in about three scenes in this movie. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of her? I think she's great. I yeah. think she's beautiful. Yeah. Like she looks gorgeous. This might be, I mean, in terms of just, I don't know. I mean, she's such a great actress. I hate to just focus on her looks, but she's really beautiful in this movie. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think also her girlfriend seems cool. Yeah, like, she does. And so I, I think that might be another case where like Woody is self-aware enough to be making fun of Isaac's like jealousy for this lesbian couple because yeah. they seem to have a very healthy and yeah. normal relationship and it's presented pretty matter-of-factly though. Yeah, I thought the girlfriend, the actress was great. She's very natural and the way that she <laughs> welcomes him, she's like, hey, hey, Isaac. <laughs> Or whatever, right? Yeah. Doesn't she even have a nickname for him? Uh, she calls him Ike. Ike. Yeah. Hey, Ike. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> you said he's so condescending to her, too. To Tracy. He's so condescending oh, that's to, to Tracy. Tracy. Like, he's so condescending. Yeah. I mean, there's just no place for it in a romantic relationship. <laughs> unless you're an abuser, which I guess he is. When they first meet Mary. Which he totally is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No bones about it. Carla wants to be on the record. Yes. They first meet Mary at uh, at an art museum. And I do love that scene where they talk about uh, all the stuff that they liked and she shits on it. And then they start talking about the steel cube. And she's like, now that I thought was brilliant. That's a classic. Oh, it is. It's such a (laughs) well-written section because it's just like classic comedy yeah right? C- classic comedy writing rule of threes yep exactly she goes the other way on the and third then a turn yeah it's so well written and so funny and the way they both they all deliver it it's just it's like what he does really well which is why it's frustrating yeah <laughs> diane keaton's really great in this movie she is uh vincent van gogh uh i just love that line when he says like an arab she spoke um there's uh, there's a scene where Tracy and Isaac are at the grocery store and uh, you said, did he just tell her to buy the groceries? He did, right? Well, he says get the groceries. I don't know if that means pick them up or uh, or pay for them. Well, here's what It's I shitty thought. either way, right? Yeah. So they're at the grocery store. She's like being a very sane, wonderful, loving partner, giving him advice and like being very kind and he's just being crazy the whole time. And then- she hands over the groceries. I didn't see them pay. Right. So then he says, get the groceries. And there's a hard cut to the next scene. <laughs> but then when we see him go out with Mary, with Diane Keaton, and they go to the restaurant, he picks up the tab. So I felt like that was very purposeful. Okay. And him showing like how he's being disrespectful to Tracy. And then showing off for Mary. And then showing off for Mary, which is, again, so frustrating about how smart he can be sometimes. <laughs> and, like, it's such a great character, a way to show character instead of telling us character. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, such a, sh- a shitty thing to do. <laughs> That's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. Which is, like, 
he does such a great job of showing what a shit he is. <laughs> Throughout the movie, Mary keeps talking about her ex-husband, Jeremiah, as this like sexual dynamo and like the person who like opened her up to new experiences and everything. And then later in the movie, he's revealed to be Wallace Shawn. Which is such a great... Who's the <laughs> only guy more nebbishy than Woody Allen. Such a great bit of casting right there. <laughs> And he was not, well, I think he was only known as a playwright at the time. I don't think he had maybe done any movies. Oh, so funny. At that point. Um, yeah, the shot of the bridge is the shot. I mean, one of the all time great. Again, shots. like even on our little television here, it's just so beautiful. And then my other favorite is when he and Mary run into the planetarium when it's raining mm-hmm. and, uh, the shot of them, it looks like they're walking on the surface it's of the moon. Incredible. Uh, I don't know what this was in reference to, but you said he's the worst. So that really could have been any point in the movie. Yeah. The thing, though, it's like for as romantic as some of these scenes can get can be because they're so beautiful and the music's so lovely. At the end of the scene, it's still just Woody Allen being gross. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so even the scene in the museum, which is beautiful and super romantic. You're like, ugh. It's this, it's gross. It's gross, man. Gross, man? It's, it's Grossman. Grossman. I thought the one way that you might find common ground with him, though, is how he moves into a new, like, shittier apartment and he's driven crazy by the noises in his yeah. apartment. And Carla, as somebody who's very sensitive to sound, I thought you might enjoy the scenes where he's waking up in the middle of the night, but like, it sounds like a man sawing a trumpet in half. Yes, I can relate to that. <laughs> and then she's like, just come back to bed, just relax. And that's how you are. Uh-huh. You're like, I don't, you're like, I don't even hear it. And I'm like, I can't hear anything else. <laughs> I'm your Tracy. That's who I am. Okay. Uh, great supporting part by Waffles the Dachshund too. Oh, so cute. <laughs> Think that dog's still alive? Nope. Uh, this is Carla on Diane Keaton. Her hair is a big problem. <laughs> it's her, a little frizzy, right? Her hair it's, is terrible in this film. It's, it's yeah. 1979. It's almost as distracting as him dating a 17 year old. <laughs> <laughs> I would put both of those things in a strong negative category for this movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess it was the style. I'm sure it was the style at the time. Sure. It's terrible. I mean, it's it's kind of like Barbara Hershey's in Hannah and Her Sisters. Right. Also terrible, terrible hair. <laughs> to the point of distraction. Yeah. Are you glad you were not an adult woman in that era? Yes. I, I wouldn't have had hair like that, though. You would have been self-aware enough to... Maybe I would have. <laughs> it's a bad perm, basically. Yeah. Or it's a perm made to look like that. What's the worst hair that you've ever had? Probably a perm. <laughs> <laughs> when you were how old? When I was a kid. <laughs> you had a perm when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. I had several perms, which I didn't even need. Look at my hair. It's yeah. curly. My so mom. her hair is a big problem. Here's some other uh, quotes that I think will make sense out of context. Look at this creep hanging outside the school. His creepy little old man hand. <laughs> I hate his hands. They're so creepy and gross. <laughs> Anytime he touches one of their faces, it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> At one point, Carla got up to get some carrots and was dancing to the uh, Gershwin. <laughs> <laughs> 
when Wallace Shawn did make his appearance as Jeremiah, you know, he's just got one brief scene, but he's like, I'm going to a symposium on semantics. <laughs> <laughs> and you said he delivers all of his lines the same way. <laughs> it's great, though. <laughs> no matter what the movie, what yeah. the genre, what he's talking about, That's it's w- one inflection. Yeah. He's also in uh, uh, that Noah Baumbach movie. He's in Marriage Story. Yeah. He's like the creepy. He's a creepy old man. He's the Woody Allen. Yeah. In it. That just occurred to me, too. That's not accidental, right? No. (laughs) No. Here's Carla. I guess affairs are easier to have now that you have cell phones. Oh, yeah, because they had to call each other on landlines, and Woody Allen's like, who are you on the phone with? Yeah, like you see Yale is like sneaking off to a payphone to call Mary. And I love that she tells him, uh, dancing lessons. They want to give us free dancing lessons. (laughs) (laughs) So why would you say that? Why wouldn't you just say wrong number? (laughs) Because what is, what if he says, okay? This is before Star 69. (laughs) What if he says, yeah, yeah, call them back. I want dancing lessons. I'm interested. I'm in. (laughs) Such a, it like, that's actually very funny. You know, you never pick up any of your spam calls and they might be free dancing lessons. You don't, you don't know that. It doesn't even seem like anything that happened even in the seventies. <laughs> so yes, you can conduct your affairs on cell phones now. Right. But I think it's way easier to get caught now, right? Cause there's a digital trail. Oh, oh, see, I was thinking that it's easier to take calls now cause you, cause your cell phones, like you can leave the room and be like, oh, I, I have to true. go move my car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wait a minute. You're all- <laughs> you're always moving your car. <sighs> There's a reference to Woody Allen crying at Gone with the Wind in this movie, too. Oh, I don't remember that. So at the end of the movie, he goes through the things that makes life worth living. Is one of the, was one of them Hemingway, too? Or do they talk about Hemingway as one of the uh, artists of the overrated? The Academy oh, of the Overrated, I can't remember. which is interesting because that, that, of course, would be the grandfather of the actress playing Tracy. I know, I know a little too much about the Hemingways. <laughs> it's a very sad family. Yeah, didn't you? Did you watch a documentary yeah. or read a bio of read, her sister or something? Yeah, I read some biographies and then I watched a documentary about. Yeah, Mariel and her sister. And, Margot. Ugh, just yeah, really sick, sad stuff. Anyway, I'm glad I brought that up. <laughs> um, he yeah. picks out the harmonica that she gave him. And so of like all the things that makes life worth living, he lands on Tracy's face. And so he runs through Manhattan to catch up with her. Mm-hmm. Carla did say, I love that coat. Oh, yeah. She has great clothes in this. Tracy. Uh, another nice little movie reference. Early on in the movie, there's a joke about her not knowing who Veronica Lake is. And then she says, like, of course I know who Veronica Lake is. And then uh, at the end of the movie, her fa- hair is falling over her face in that famous uh, oh, yeah. v- Veronica Lake uh, hairstyle, which is a nice I little... I didn't get that. Nice little reference. That is so smart. <laughs> Damn it. Carla? Would you like to give this a letter grade? Not really. <laughs> Incomplete? Incomplete. Um, well, an A for photography and dialogue <laughs> and costume design and scenic design. And then let's just go for a hard F on 
Um, specifics of plot. Okay. So a C? <laughs> Does that average sure. out to a C? Or? To a C. Okay. What does that stand for? Can't watch ever again. <laughs> yeah. So this was number eight. Number eight on the list. That's pretty high eight. up there. <laughs> pretty high this up one, there. Let's, let's, let's say that I've, re- I've noticed recently when you've been talking about this movie, like when people are like, what's the next one on your list? You get a little, a little embarrassed. Yeah. I've noticed. Not even defensive, I think, embarrassed. You're embarrassed, yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting change, I think, shift. Well, as we've talked about before on this list, this is not scientific, right? This is this is not a matter of the head. This is a matter of the heart, <laughs> right? right? And so even if intellectually you can appreciate this movie, uh, I would say that it, it does not hold up in the same way. And, you know, I would love to celebrate the beautiful photography and the, you know, the, the mood of it and the romanticism of it, but it just doesn't feel like this is something that I want to be highlighting or celebrating on my list. And that's not a message that I want to put out there to Craig's listeners or to my friends or to the world. So I think it's out of there. Off it's, the list entirely. I think it's coming out of the top 100. I'll put it in the additional favorite movies list yeah. just to acknowledge it's uh, historical significance in my life, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, that's huge to drop a movie from number eight all the way out of the list. But also what that does is it makes sure that Woody Allen is not the director with the most films on my list. This Good. would reduce him to four films on the list, which I can live with, I think. And, and again, of like, I don't know that I feel great about that, but it's Annie Hall, Hannah and her sisters, Love and Death, and Purple Rose of Cairo, and mm-hmm. uh, I just can't take any of those movies. You can't off take the Love list. and Death off. I can't. I can't. My hands are tied. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll convince him to take Love and Death off you all, <laughs> y'all. I think it's the funniest movie I've ever seen. So, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. This is, so this leaves a number eight spot open and there's another wonderful movie that takes place in Manhattan that is romantic. What is that? And respectful to women. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called When Harry Met Sally. Great you know, soundtrack. Yeah. Great photography. Not black and white, but still good, good photography. Well, when we finish the top 100, you know, we will start to, we will, we'll do sporadic episodes. We're not going to be doing weekly episodes, but we will do sporadic episodes as I begin to update the list. And that is definitely one movie that it, it was on the list years ago. For some reason, I took it off. Maybe it's time to revisit when Harry met Sally, because I think it'll <laughs> it'll cover some similar ground. It's Carla's favorite movie. It's my mother's favorite movie. <laughs> so it seems perverse of me to uh, to not acknowledge that. And I do love that movie. I have really nothing negative to say about When Harry Met Sally. I don't know exactly why I took it off. So we'll we'll look at it again. By the way, when you type Manhattan into IMDb, Woody Allen's Manhattan is the third one that comes up. What are the first two? Really. Like the actual Manhattan? What do you mean? <laughs> like movies? Oh, IMDb. I'm sorry. Yeah, IMDb. You said IMDb and I heard Google. <laughs> um, really? Oh, Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah, that's number two. <laughs> the Muppets Take Manhattan. Which at, is, w- w- at one point, we were going to do a thing where you weren't <laughs> going to watch any of the remaining Woody Allen that's movies. Right. And we were going to do something similar. And so you were going to watch Muppets Take Manhattan. Because I love that movie. movie. Yeah. What would the third one be? Manhattan... 
Oh, um, Bullets Over Manhattan. Nope. Um, Murder Mystery of Manhattan. It's well, Manhattan Murder Mystery Manhattan is a Murder Mystery. is a Woody Allen movie with Diane Keaton. That's the last one that, that they one. made together, and that's the last one that he co-wrote with Marshall Brickman as well. So, what was it? What's number one? It stars J Lo. Oh, Made in Manhattan. Made in Manhattan, <laughs> <laughs> which I've never seen, surprisingly. And I believe Ray Fiennes yep. is her love interest in yep. that. Uh, do you want to improvise a scene? Oh, right. Sure. <laughs> well, I think the real love story in this movie has got to be between Mary and Jeremiah. So I think, wouldn't that be a great ending if they got back together? Mary and Jer- Oh, that's Wallace Shawn? Yes. Okay. Um, Mary, it's, uh, it's so good to see you. You, uh, Jeremiah, you, I mean, you, you s- look great. You look great. Thanks. Thanks. I, I've gone to full bald. Now I'm not oh. even doing the hair on the sides. Uh, I I I love it. I mean, it's um very handsome. I'm sorry, I'm so nervous. Your uh your presence is just. I feel I feel I feel flustered. No 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 need to be nervous. Have a bagel and schmear. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm uh, was just at a symposium on semantics. Oh oh I I was thinking of going to that symposium. Funny funny that we w- had similar plans today. Well, we're both uh, intellectuals in New York City. Mm hmm. Um, would you like to play a game? Sure. Okay, so I um one of these cups is poisoned. Cups of wine is poisoned. <laughs> oh, oh. Why would you do that? Um well, I'm just a little upset still about uh how you cheated on me. Oh, well, I I do have an astonishing sexual prowess. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, so one of these is poison. One of them is poison and one is not. Okay. Well, you're very intellectual and I'm very intellectual, but you know I'm intellectual, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> See. All right, Carla. <laughs> <laughs> I set you up so hard. Yes, you good. did. And I knew exactly what you were going for. <laughs> Craig's listeners, the that Woody Allen. Uh, yeah, uh, I got it. <laughs> it was the last movie on the list. Craig's listeners, the Woody Allen portion of this podcast is now complete. I'm exhausted. <laughs> Carla, I can't you made it I through. talked for eight hours about Woody Allen. So that's seven Woody Allen movies down and seven, seven movies left on the list. And they're all stone cold classics, Carla. You still kind of sound like Wallace Shawn. <laughs> I think I'm stuck in this now and I'm never going to get out of it. Enjoy the rest of our marriage. <laughs> all right. What's up next? Okay. Well, this is a black and white movie, another black and white movie, but it was at a time where people were mostly making black and white movies. <laughs> I would say 1942. This is a Hollywood classic. It won best picture and uh, it stars Bogey. And uh, Bergman, Aww. not Ingmar, but Ingrid. Yay. And it's called Casablanca. And we're going to have our friend uh, Brian Palermo uh, in to talk about Casablanca with us. So Love it. Carla will always have Paris, uh, which is actually a m- movie that they referenced in this movie that we just watched. Yep. He tells her, Tracy, will always have Paris. And then he says, just kidding. <laughs> so he takes it away right away. <laughs> Well, Carla, for real, we will always have Paris. Uh, here's looking at you, kid, and uh, Craig's listeners. Uh, <laughs> I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> <laughs>
is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>